Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for listening, and welcome to Haunted Nights Live. This is Alistair Cross, and I'm here with my co-host, Tamara Thorne. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. To learn more about your hosts, visit our websites at tamarathorne.com and alistaircross.com. You can also give our Haunted Nights Live page a like on Facebook or visit our mutual blog at thorncross.wordpress.com. If you tweet, our handle is at thorncross. We'd like to give a very big special thanks to W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. This is a copyrighted trademark podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. Uh, again, welcome everybody and thank you for tuning in. Uh, tonight, we are excited to have F. Paul Wilson on the show. Uh, he is the author of 50 plus books and numerous short stories spanning science fiction, horror, adventure, medical thrillers, and virtually everything between. His novels have regularly appeared on the New York Times bestsellers list. He was voted Grandmaster by the World Horror Convention and received Lifetime Achievement Awards from the Horror Writers of America and the Libertarian Futurist Society. He has also received the Stoker Award, the Porgy Award, the Prometheus and Prometheus Hall of Fame Awards, the Pioneer Award from the RT Book Lovers Convention, the prestigious Inkpot Award from San Diego Comic-Con, and is listed in the 50th anniversary edition of Who's Who in America. Over 8 million copies of his books are in print in the U.S., and his work has been translated into 24 languages. He's written for the stage, screen, and interactive media. Recently, he put his urban mercenary character, Repairman Jack, on hiatus while he pursues other projects. With Tom Monteleone, he has started a young adult trilogy, Definitely Not Kansas, and Family Secrets are the first installments. Paul resides at the Jersey Shore and can be found on the web at repairmanjack.com. Uh, it's a lot of accomplishments and we're really excited, but before we introduce him, here is my co-host, Tamara Thorne, with an excerpt from Paul's Dark City, the second novel in the Repairman Jack prequel trilogy. Okay, Saturday, February 23rd, 1991. The van speeding down 7th swerved toward him as he stepped off the curb. Would have ripped off a kneecap if he hadn't spotted it out of the corner of his eye and jumped back in time. He'd come to West 23rd Street hunting lunch. Despite its grit and grime and unabashedly crass commercialism, or maybe because of it, Jack dug the two-way cross street. Only a few blocks from his apartment, its mostly tiny storefronts offered a cross-section of all the low-end merchandise available throughout the city, a mishmash of deep discount, off-brand electronics, cheap luggage, Gucci knockoffs, and the ever-present triplet peep shows, a dizzying selection of ethnic fast foods, plus an endless variety of VHS tapes, music cassettes, and CDs, all bootleg. The humanity crowding the sidewalks is always varied, but on a Saturday at midday, despite the February cold, even more so. As a white guy in jeans and a denim jacket over a flannel shirt, Jack was barely noticeable among the yellow, black, and various shades of mocha, the sorried Hindus, the turban Sikhs, straights, gays, and unsures, 
socialists and socialites, bankers and bohos, tourists and transvestites, holies and harlots, felons and fashion victims, viragos and virgins, commies and capitalists, artists and Aryans. He was going to miss the bustling energy when he moved uptown, but reminded himself it would still be just a few subway stops away. Still, despite all the varied bright colors, the city had a dark feel. The recession was holding on, casting a pall that refused to lift, and everyone was feeling it. Back in the day, his father used to come into Tap City now and then to visit Uncle Stu in his three-story brownstone a little ways downtown and toward 8th Avenue. Sometimes he'd drag Jack along. Dad would always come away with samples of Uncle Stu's single malt scotches. Long gone was the medics where they'd stop and grab hot dogs and the weird rolls and the delicious pickle mustard. McDonald's filled its shoes now, but as much as he liked Big Macs, he wasn't in the burger mode at the moment. He eyed the line of chrome street carts along the curb. One offered Sabret hot dogs, pass. Another offered mystery meat on a stick, pass again. He paused near 7th Avenue before the red brick and wrought iron facade of the Chelsea Hotel. Across the street, he spotted the gyro cart he'd visited in the past. The owner, Nick, had a vertical propane rotisserie that he used to cook the meat. He fresh-carved the slices and wrapped them in pita with onions and a cucumber yogurt sauce. Jack's mouth was already watering. Yeah, that would do nicely. That was when he stepped off the curb. That was when the gray, unmarked commercial van damn near killed him. It swerved to a screeching halt a half dozen feet away, and he took a step toward it, ready to give the driver hell. But then the side panel slid open, and three dark-skinned guys about his age erupted from within. Two wore beads and had head-wrapped scarves, and a third wore a backward trucker cap. Typical streetwear, nothing special. Then Jack noticed that all three carried short, shiny machetes and looked out for blood. When Rico leaned out the front passenger window and screamed something in Spanish, Jack got the picture. He turned and ran. Last fall, he'd been leading an uncomplicated life as a cash-paid landscaper-slash-gardener, the lone gringo among Dominican immigrants in a five-man crew for two paisanos landscaping. Rico, a member of that crew, came to view Jack as a rival for his leadership position. Pre-Jack, he'd been the boss's go-to guy. After Jack joined, Giovanni Pastorelli came to depend more and more on Jack because they shared English as a first language. The seething Rico began to ride Jack, most times via colorful Dominican insults that went beyond Jack's rudimentary Spanish, occasionally punctuated by a push or a bump. Jack realized the problem but didn't see what he could do about it, so he let it ride for months until the day Rico culminated a week of relentless heckling with a sucker punch to the jaw. Jack still didn't remember much of what had happened next, Apparently, he flashed into berserker mode, launching a Hell's Angel-style counterattack so vicious it left him in shock and a battered Rico coiled on the ground clutching a ruined knee. The other Dominicans were Rico's buddies who used machetes to clear brush. The boss, Giovanni, fearing Jack would end up with one of those blades in his back, had fired him for his own safety. It should have ended there, but for some reason it hadn't. Giovanni had mentioned a link to a machete-wielding street gang called DDP, Dominicans Don't Play, and told Jack he'd better get himself a gun. Jack had bought that gun, but he didn't have it on him now. He'd only stepped out to grab some lunch, for Christ's sakes. Jack raced west, putting some distance behind him, between himself and his pursuers. He glanced over his shoulder and noticed that the three matons after him all wore baggy gangsta jeans halfway down their asses. That had been... That had to slow them down. He recognized the one in the trucker cap, Ramon, from Giovanni's landscaping crew, but the other two were strangers. DDP members? Why wasn't Rico, the guy with the biggest grudge, among them? He had, 
had he gone in another direction trying to flank him? Couldn't think about that now. Subway entrance ahead near 8th Avenue. That van could be in motion, complicating things. Best to get off the street. A subterranean wind blew against his face as he scrambled down the white-tiled gullet into the token area. Train arriving. No time for a token and no transit cop in sight, so he waved to the attendant as he raced past the booths, hopped atop the turnstile, and leapt across. Good luck to his pursuers trying a turnstile hop in those saggy pants. I love it. Very love nice. It. <laughs> My favorite right. line is the white-tiled gullet. I just think that's wonderful. I know, right? Great imagery. Yeah. All right. Uh, Welcome to the show, Paul. How are you? I'm fine. I'm very fine. <laughs> We're glad. Good, good. <laughs> it's so great good. to have you on. It is, it is. Good to be on. We're excited to have you. Um, why don't we start out with, why don't you tell us a little bit about Repairman Jack? These novels go back pretty far and there's quite a few of them. So let's talk about the beginning of that character in this series. Well, it started... I mean, I, I was writing another novel, and not get. It turned out to be reborn, but I was, I was just not getting anywhere. And um, I, I had a dream where I was being chased around a rooftop by something, and no matter what I did to it, it kept coming back. <laughs> and um, I woke up, and you know, it's one of those. You know, you see those things in the movies where they wake up going, <laughs> yeah. well, I, I sort of woke up like that. And, you know, that's the only time it's ever happened. But um, I said, oh, I got to use that. I got to do something with that. And it was obviously a frustration dream. So I, I think it was coming from, you know, the book I was having trouble with. And mm -hmm. so I, um, I, I, I went set about developing a character who could survive that. And I, and I knew it wasn't me. So I had to come up with somebody who, who, who could survive that. And so I, I, Jack just started taking shape, and I said, you know, well, why don't I just, you know, put some of my, you know, libertarian stuff on him too, and make him a guy with no identity and blah blah blah, and no social security number and all that kind of thing. And so I started doing that, and everything started taking shape, and it was it was fun, and. Uh, as I'm writing this, I'm saying to myself, oh, this is a series character, and I, I don't want to do a series right now. I, mean, <laughs> right. I, had, I had the next few books already written out in my head. And, um, I just said I don't want to do this, so I left him dying at the end. I mean, he, he's a, he's a, and it turns out that he's a real blue-collar hero, and because it, it was the follow-up to The Keep, and because of that, it wound up on the bestseller list. So it sold a yeah. lot of copies. Um, and then it never went out of print. And year after year after year, it sold and it sold and it sold. I got more and more Repairman Jack fans. And a lot of them were, were in publishing. Um, and Ed Gorman was doing a, a uh, no, I think it was, no, I was a guest at the 1990 World Fantasy Convention. And Phyllis Weinberg, you know, Bob Weinberg was running it. And Phyllis Weinberg said, uh -huh. you know, we need you to write a story for the program, but could you please, please, please do a Repairman Jack story? I said, okay, I'll do it. And I did it. And I had, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. And then Ed Gorman was doing a thing, and he asked me if I would do a Repairman Jack story for that. Uh, that was called, oh, I forget what that was called. It was an anthology, but it was very successful. And that got more fans for Repairman Jack. Nice. And 
finally, you know, it, it got to the point where you know, I was doing a little short story here, short story there, but I did not want to get into the novel thing. And right. I had a big success with um, The Select. And I got a multi-book contract for medical thrillers out of that. And I did two of them. And, I was, and very quickly, it, 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 you know, it dawned on me that I didn't want to be doing medical thrillers. It was just like, right. you know, they, they're formulaic and, you know, the, the heroic internist who, you know, fights off bad guys. I, I, you right. know, it, just, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so I had this idea for a high-tech thriller and I said, Jack would be perfect for this. You know, maybe I could bring him back once, but I need uh-huh. a medical thriller. And so I had a doctor hire him. And I figured, okay, that makes it a medical thriller. And, you know, like it really didn't, but the, yeah. but right. the publisher <laughs> liked it. And they said, okay, we'll do it. We'll go with it. And so it sold very well. And they said, well, you, you, would you do another one? Do another repairman, Jack. I said, okay, just one. And <laughs> because of my fear, my fear from the beginning was that it's going to take over my career. Right. And so I did one more. I did Conspiracies. A- after Legacies, I did Conspiracies. And I had such fun with Conspiracies. I mean, someday I'll tell you about going out to the <laughs> UFO convention. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, maybe tonight. Research <laughs> Yeah. But, um. And I said, Jesus, this is fun. Okay, I'm going to do it. And um, I said, well, I'll do a few more. And, you know, 23 books later, I, I, I decided I would... I, it was always going to be a closed-end series for me. Right. Um, it, it was always going to point and end at Night World, which had already been written, which sort of lot, you know, you know, boxes you in as, as a writer. But um, mm-hmm. my great fear that it would take over my... Um, writing career was was fully realized because it took over my writing career. <laughs> and that was what I wrote for like almost 20 years. So, oh, wow. um, uh, and I have no regrets, but I, you know, I've seen too many of my, not too many, but uh, a number of my favorite series go on too long. And yeah. whether, the, you know, the writer's just, you know, collecting a paycheck. And I, right. you know, Jack, Jack is precious to me, and I, and I didn't want, I didn't want to see that happen to him. So, right. you know, I called it quits. And so I, I'm you, not you, saying I'll never do another one. Right. But right. It, I've been delivering one every fall, you know, since 1997. <laughs> oh wow. And, um, wow. and I did sometimes I, when I was doing the young adult ones, I was doing two a year, and um, I, you know, those days are over. But if if a really good story comes up, yeah, I'll do it because, you know, why not? Uh, nice. If he's right for the story, that's what brought him back in the first place. I had a story that he was right for, and and that's what I did. So, I mean, nice. so you know, you know, Jack is an urban mercenary. He has no social security number. He has no identity outside, you know, his own life. And um, boy, has that changed in the difficulty uh, department since oh. you know, I started writing him. You know, ever since, you know, 9-11 changed everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got to, you, you know, everything has got to be, uh, I mean, so much more security. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was born at a time before you had to have uh, a social security number. 
right. was born in 69. Uh-huh. So um, you didn't really need it till I think it was the mid-80s. That we, when you were born, you got a Social Security number. So he, yeah. he missed that. So he was able to, you know, you know, live under the radar for, for many, many, many years. Uh-huh. So... Do you do you know how many how many books are in in that series? In, in Repairman Jack. Yeah. Do you know how many books there are? Total of twenty three. Oh wow! So uh, I have a question. I have a question about that. So twenty three books into a series. How do you go about dispersing necessary information for? new readers and not getting repetitive for old readers. Do you um, find that hard? You know, I gave up doing it um, <laughs> because I I, I I don't do the info dump thing. I, I, I let you... I started off the first book, The Tomb, in Medias Rest. It's just that there he is, this is what he does, and you can follow him through the day and sort of assimilate what he does. And that has been my, my approach uh, through the whole series. Uh, the, first, the first nine books can be read almost in any order. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are a few things like Gia gets pregnant in the haunted air, and you know, there is a baby for the... the few books after that that you know that before we get to number 10 is the the spoiler ridden thing where he finds out all sorts of ugly things and that's the big irony of of the series comes to the fore where here's a guy who spent his whole life you know trying to be autonomous Mm -hmm. right that's been his goal and then he finds out he's been manipulated all along that you know he it's just it's just a mirage that he has any autonomy he's been he's been manipulated all along and so you shouldn't read that before you read the others because you know there's a lot of spoilers and a lot of things that go on but right. other than that it's you know I, I i don't like the info dumps and going back and i mean yeah. I'd rather the reader get it by osmosis. I think it's it's mm-hmm. the reader then becomes more of a participant. I I don't like to tell readers much. I I like them to figure it out on their own. And mm-hmm. it seems to stick a lot more and as I said there's that participating type of feel where I mean I'm not going to tell you that so and so is the cheapest man in town. I'm going to show you him stealing some coins out of the, uh, you know, the the penny tray, right? Of an eleven, and let you figure that out. Right. You see that right. happening, and you say, "Oh, geez, this is a cheap bastard." And, <laughs> and I haven't had to tell you, and I think right. it, it sticks a lot more that way. And and so I mean that's that's I mean that's the way I write. I've always written that way. Um, but I, I find that's much more effective than than sitting down and saying, "Well, here's what's happening." And, right. Uh, <laughs> so I, for me, for me, it works better, and I, I think for the readers, it works better that way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I have an odd question. 
Someone asked it of us the other day on an interview, and we just loved it. If Repairman Jack had a theme song, what do you think it would be? Mm. Boy, that's the first time I've ever been asked that. <laughs> oh, us too. It was a shock. Cha-ching. Well, the thing is, you know, he's an he's an anarchist, um, a gut anarchist. He doesn't have the philosophy where he goes around saying, you know, I'm an anarchist. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but he functions as one. And and the thing is, a lot of people, what a lot of people don't understand about anarchy, is that it doesn't mean there are no rules. It means there are no rulers. Right. Jack has a ton of rules that he lives by, but um, he doesn't make other people live. I mean. You know, my my instinctive, you know, response would be schools out. Nice. <laughs> yeah. but, but really, it's not right because you know he he you know he has he does have lots of rules that he lives by. So, um, hmm, maybe I can answer that by the end of the. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't have an answer now. I wish yeah, I did. You know what? I had a really, I had a really hard time with it too. We were both kind of like, ah, but it was kind of fun. Um, yeah. For anybody who is just joining us, we are talking to F. Paul Wilson, author of fifty plus books and numerous short stories spanning science fiction, horror, adventure, medical thrillers, and virtually everything between. Uh, thank you for listening, and be sure to give us a like. And thank you for tuning in. Our upcoming guests on Haunted Nights Live include Jonathan Mayberry, Christopher Moore. We also have Jeff Lindsay, author of the Dexter series, Charlene Harris, author of the Southern Vampire series and basis of the HBO series True Blood, uh, and supernatural historian Troy Taylor. And in other Thorn and Cross news, our haunted hotel novel, The Cliff House Haunting, is available now at Amazon. And the eighth installment of the Ghosts of Ravencrest, titled Spellbound, will be out within the coming weeks. Uh, the Ghosts of Ravencrest is a serialized gothic novel in the vein of Dark Shadows and Rebecca, with new installments appearing about every four to six weeks. Uh, lastly, my debut solo novel, A Vampire Tale, titled The Crimson Corset, is currently in production and is expected to be released in just a few weeks. Uh, you can visit the Future Works page at my website at alistaircross.com to learn more about that. And if you want more information about Tamara's work, her website is tamarathorn.com. Um, and on that note, Paul, you have done quite a bit of collaborating in your career. Let's talk about that for a minute. Who are some of the people that you've collaborated with? Well, it started off... Um... Matt Costello and I, uh, well, it started off, I got a call from this guy from USA Networks, Bob Siegel, and he said, you know, we're starting, you know, we bought the Sci-Fi Channel. We want to have design, and we want to world, we want to do newscasts from uh, 150 years in the future, and we need somebody to design it. And I know we know you did science fiction, blah blah blah. Would you design it? I said, Well, yeah, I'd love to, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I got so many irons in the fire here. I said, I, I just don't think I can do it. And I said, But you know, I know Macassell. I knew Matt from Nikon, which is a uh, New England horror writer reader conference. I said, uh -huh. you know, and Matt works very quickly, and you know, 
give him a call, and I gave him the number. And Matt calls me up and says, you, he said, you, he's saying, you really don't want to do this? I said, no, I really want to do it, but <laughs> I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. Right. Said, why don't we split it? He said, why don't we split it? I said, great idea. So in six weeks, we had designed a whole world. I mean, economics, leaders, flags, um, politics, sociology. Every, we, we, we did... I mean, we amazed ourselves that we had done this in six weeks. And we handed it in, and they say, oh, this is great. Um, would you guys stay on as consultants? I mean, we're going to have somebody else write the scripts. Uh-huh. But it was going to be one-minute news feeds from the future. And five a week, you know, one every day, played like five uh-huh. or six times. And then we'd do them all on weekends, Re- repeat them all on weekends. And so we stayed on a, you know, and, and the and the scripter, uh, Russ Firestone, would you know would call us and say, oh, I need a spot, you know, a, a commercial for this, a commercial uh-huh. for that, and you know, and and Matt and I would, we would we would meet in each other's kitchens and just throw things back and forth. And when we started giggling too much, we figured we'd gone too far, but you know, that, was <laughs> the way, that was the way we worked, mm-hmm. and. Finally, they said, why don't, you know, says, why don't you guys script it? We said, you know, I said, what are you offering? And they told us, and we said, oh, yes, okay, we will definitely, we will definitely script it. Um, and so we did, we did it for four and a half years. It was, it was really, uh, yeah, 1992 to 1996. Um, and, and one of our, our, our uh, news feeds led off and, and uh, launched the channel. Um, it was a great, it was great. It was one of the best, and we could do almost anything we wanted. Nice. Uh, it's called Faster Than Light Newsfeed, and unfortunately, you can't get them anywhere. Um, oh, and I can't. I have most of them on on tape, but uh, I don't own them. You know, it was work for hire, so I can't yeah. put them up. But um, and every once in a while, you know, Bob Siegel or one of the executives would come to us and say, "You know, we would do like a Sweeney Todd ripoff, and we would do, we would get." Uh, <laughs> We had Peter Straub in as a guest. We had uh, Timothy Leary. We had the, the amazing Kreskin. Oh, and we had the Israelis develop the faster-than-light drive, and we had Erwin Corey come in to explain oh, it. The professor. Had, I don't know I remember, if you remember who Erwin Corey is, but he's the one yeah. of the yeah. double talkers of all time. Yeah. And, and we had him back twice <laughs> because the reporters couldn't understand what he was saying, So, and we had him back again. Um, and they would say, is this science fiction? We'd say, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, definitely science fiction. We know we're science fiction writers. Say, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so Matt and I were, Matt and I later co- collaborated on two novels, and then I collaborated. I mean, if there's someone I'm simpatico with and we have an idea, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, to me, it's great. It's great fun. I, I insist on the final polish because I'm I'm the anal half of any writing team. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I you know I, I got to have it. Yeah. Uh, so right. Um, but other than that, you know, I I get along with pretty much everybody as far as that kind of thing goes. Um, I was reading nice. one of Sarah Pinborough's uh, books, one of her um, – mm-hmm. over here it's called the something – Forgotten Gods. Or in England it's called the Dogface Gods, her trilogy. And um, I came upon an image of, you know, the Man of Flies, and 
it just sparked some images in me, and I said, yeah, I could write something about that. And then I, so since it sparked, she sparked it. I, you know, I, I emailed her, and mm-hmm. I said, um, yeah, do you want to in on this? She said, sure, but I'm, I'm really overwhelmed. She was doing all sorts of things. So it, it took us a long time to get it done, but. Yeah. Collaborating has changed so much. I mean, you know, I've been collaborating now <laughs> since the 90s. Um, Sarah and I actually went on a uh, Google Docs with a shared document, and she took one character, I took another character, and we had an argument. Nice. And uh-huh. in real time. That's how we work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because we do that. We have the shared document. We watch each other work and then we open Skype and we don't have our cameras on, but we, we can talk. (laughs) Yeah. Well, once in a while. That's recently what I did with, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just. It's fascinating, right? um, And Mm -hmm. Boss Peterson and Joe Conrath on uh, Fix in in the Kindle World story. But the thing is, Uh Sarah hurt my feelings. In the argument. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. no! I mean, as the character, I, you know, I got into the character and I say, "Oh, she hurt no, she's mean." <laughs> she was very mean to me. Um, but you know, and and I think it all work. It all shows up in in, in the final uh, in the final result because we we pretty much we put later we put in attributions and maybe a few facial expressions. But the actual, we, we just did dialogue, 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 and hit each other with it. And um, I was really impressed that, that you could do this kind yeah. of thing. And yeah, it, it, yeah, it's right. it's cool. Yeah, yeah when we first to try that. Yeah. Yeah, when we and first Tom started I, it. I mean, Tom Montalioni and I are, you know, doing a, uh, a young adult yeah. thing. And, and Tom and I really, it's sort of like we were separated at birth or... I don't know. We we had parallel childhoods. That it's really scary when we talk about them because, I mean, did you have a Gilbert chemistry set? Oh yeah, I had a Gilbert chemistry set. Yeah. Did you have this? Did you have that? Did you almost set your house on fire? Yeah, I almost set my house on fire. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's scary. We can finish yeah. each other's yeah. sentences. So collaborating that's with actually. That's actually how uh, it worked with us. I'm a lot older than Alistair, but we have the same childhood. We're basically the same person. It's weird. We did all the same things. Yeah, it's just and kind of... Boy, that makes for a good collaboration. It, it does, it's and really we just kind of great. think of it. It's so natural. It's, it's just scary. like it's almost just meant to be. Yeah. yeah. yeah it yeah. feels like synchronicity. Before we move on to your new collaboration, though, I want to ask, go, backtrack to the UFO con. Because I've been around those, <laughs> oh. too. I even spent the night at uh, the Little Alien out in Rachel, Nevada. Oh, dear right. God, but that's something. Um, <laughs> what did you think of that? What were your thoughts on the UFO people? Um, well, I was kind of shocked. But I'm used to, I'm used to science fiction conventions. Yeah. And, um, you know, where everybody dresses up. Mm-hmm. Nobody dressed up at the this thing. Um they all looked like they worked in hardware stores. They, they, you know, they had the they had the twill pants, they had the plaid shirt, they had the string tie, and very serious. Yeah. And also, 
they are they are the like the salt of the earth Americans, but they are sure the government's lying to them about aliens and other things. And uh, I what I, t- I mean I would walk around the cocktail party and you know try to catch on snatches of conversation, see what they talk about to each other, you know, and um, because conspiracies was all about a conspiracy convention and so i really wanted to get into these people's heads and i couldn't walk around i had a little digital recorder voice recorder but i couldn't walk around with that uh-huh. at a conspiracy yeah. convention you know because oh no no right they, they say you're you you're cia or something so mm-hmm. i would have a little pad i would run into the men's room and jot down some dialogue and then come back but a lot of it's right in the book, and I was thinking it's almost too funny that you know there's too much humor uh-huh. in the book because I mean my 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 favorite was I'm walking by these two guys and they're arguing over a photograph, so I, you know I sidle over and I'm trying to see what the the photograph is, and they see me and they, the, the guy one guy pulls me over and says, "Hey, look at this, look at this he says. What do you think that is? I said, well, it looks like you know the the, the North Pole of the of the Earth. He said, that's right. Mm-hmm. And he said, you see that little arch of darkness there? I said, yeah. He said, that's the portal to the inside of the Earth. And that's where the flying saucers go. They don't, oh. come, they don't come from outer space. They don't, they come from in there. Oh. And his friend is behind him doing that circle by the temple thing, like you know you're crazy. Uh huh. Yeah. And I said, oh. Okay. <laughs> I have a fellow I, skeptic I here. So as the other guy, <laughs> the line. As the other oh, guy wanders me. away, you know, he you know, he pulls me over and says, Do you believe that? Saucers from the inside of the earth? I mean, this is why nobody takes us seriously. So everybody knows they're based on the, the dark side of the moon. And oh. I'm saying, Okay. <laughs> um, I have to go to the bathroom right now. <laughs> so I ran off and I and that exchange of <laughs> You know, appears almost verbatim in conspiracies. So it's it's one of these things where you can't make it up. If I had no. made, if I had made that up, I never would have written it down because I'd say that was <laughs> unbelievable. But well, the one that gets me is is similar to the UFOs coming out. In fact, it probably is the same thing. It's the reptilian race that lives inside the Earth that we hang out with in in the military. I hear that over and over from people that. Really ought to know better. <laughs> oh yeah, those are the Greys, and those are the uh, yeah. They have a name for them. I forget what the name is for them. Oh, the reptilian ones. The yeah, they have uh, what they them. call it on X Files. Uh, I don't know. They look like red rocks on X Files, but evidently they're alligator people or something. I don't know. It's it it it's too far for me. <laughs> oh, I know, but it, but the, you know the dealer's room is full of all sorts of artifacts mm-hmm. that you know. People who've been abducted have pulled out of their... One guy has stuff he said he had been removed from his brain by surgery. <laughs> said, oh, really? Just like, oh, okay. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. But for those of you... Very nice people. <laughs> for those of you who are just joining us, we are talking to F. Paul Wilson, um, multi-published author, multi-award winning author, very, very busy man, uh, thank you for listening in, and be sure to give us a like on our Hunter Nights Live page on Facebook. 
Uh, keep tuning in. Upcoming, we have authors such as Edward Erdelak, Robert Masello, Jeff Lindsay, Charlene Harris, and Christopher Moore. Uh, thanks again for listening. Um, Paul, let's talk. Have you talk met Charlene, by the way? No, we have not. We I we haven't, and I'm very excited to. We've, I, we've I was only... just with her at the Thriller Fest um, last weekend, and um, she's one of the sweetest people. That's what I hear. She wrote yeah. Suki, uh, you know. That yeah, that, that, yeah, I've I've heard that about her yeah. from anybody who's met her. They're like, she's just she's yeah, just fantastic. Yeah, Celtic Yarbrough just loved her. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. Like, you know, so, you should yeah. be baking cookies. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. We're looking Look. forward to her. <laughs> yeah, All right, so let's let's talk about Nocturnia. This is I'm not familiar with this series, and I want to know everything there is to know about it. <laughs> what is it about? Where did it come from? Where is it going? It's a long, it's a long story. Um, All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll shorten it. I'll shorten it. That's but, fine. <laughs> um, this guy, Nick Saltos, was trying to start the horror channel on cable. He couldn't mm -hmm. get, you know, and he was looking for backers, and he asked us if we could do something for him. He knew Tom very well, and um, and we, we used to meet at the TikTok Dimer on, Diner on Route 46, which used to be a mob meeting place. And um, and the funny thing was, Nick always said, he said, you know, the future of television is the Internet. He said, everything will be streaming through the Internet. And I said, oh, this guy's crazy. You know, what's he talking about? You know, and now we have you know, Netflix and Hulu and everything. Right. <laughs> um, he was way ahead of his time. But anyway, <laughs> um, we said, well, why don't we just do, I was thinking of, I told you about, you know, FTL, you know, newscasts from the future. Why don't we do newscasts from this world, this parallel world, where all the monsters of popular culture have their own nation states? Ooh, you know, nice. there's, there's Lycanthum, where the werewolves are, and there's Necrotias, the zombies, and um, uh, the, there's the Nosferatu nation and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> nice. And, and so we so we we worked it up for him. We worked up a Bible, but he never got the financing. And Tom and I were sitting around and said, "Well, geez, we got this. We worked up this whole damn thing, and it's not going anywhere." And we said, well, "You know, why don't we write some books around it? I mean, it's perfect for YA." And right. yeah. so we went did further design on the world, and then we had two kids from. And we, it's, the first book is definitely not Kansas. And so we, we do the Oz thing. We have two kids that get caught in a, in, a, in a tornado. But instead of being taken to Oz by the tornado, this hole opens up in the air, and these pincers come out and grab them and pull them through. And oh. they find themselves in Nocturnia. And what in Nocturnia, humans are either slaves or food. Because everybody, I mean, the, the zombies like the brains. The vampires like the blood. The werewolves like, you know, steaks and, you know, shoulder <laughs> right. joints and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and so what, what, what they do is they, they look for people who are going to die. It's sort of like, you know, um, oh, what's his name? The, the uh, science fiction writer. He did it with Millennium. But people who are going to die, they snatch them before they die. And so people will think, you know, they say, okay, they disappeared in that, that, that you know, F5 tornado. 
And so uh-huh. we, we never found them, but you know, we know they're dead. And so nobody, you know, goes and looks for them. Uh, or or a, a ferry off you know, Shanghai turns over, and they're there to snatch the people out of the water and then turn them into slaves or whatever, uh, or food. And so these two kids wind up there, and uh, they have all, you know, we're... we're we're going to do three books. We're we're right. We're about halfway through the, the third book now, um, and we're having a ball with it. It's just it's so much fun to play with those stereotypes of the you know the uh, the zombies and all that kind of stuff. And we did um we put a free story up on Wattpad just as a, a bit of a teaser. But um, you know Wattpad everything is free, but we wrote a short story. Are you familiar with Wattpad? Mm-mm. Oh, Segway, oh. not very. Yeah, it, not. it's well, the um, the illustration you have on the uh, on on your Facebook post is is from my Wattpad story, the Definitive Therapy. I, oh. I reprinted my Joker story uh, on Wattpad. It's oh. um, it's got forty million readers on it. Readers oh, wow. and writers. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, I'm it's, checking uh, it out. But yeah. everything is. Everything is free, but you know I, I use it to, um, I use it as a, a promotional thing. I'll put some free stuff up there, uh, like we, we put up the free story from Nocturnia, just to get people to know. Okay, it exists. Nocturnia exists, so yeah. and you can read this story for free. And then, uh, uh, if you want to go on and read a little more, then go buy the book. Right, uh, right. Kind of so. That's it. That's cool. I didn't know about that. We'll definitely have to check that out. It sounds cool. W-A-T-T-P-A-D dot com. All right. Yeah, that's pretty Yeah, I cool. just found it. <laughs> Very nice. Save that link. <laughs> yes, I got it. All right. So anyway. Um, so there's two Tom books in this I, series, right? Yeah, there's two. We're working on a third. And we may come back to it, but I mean, we, we have a trilogy that rounds out a, a very, very nicely into... Uh, a, a, a very symmetrical, um, satisfying story. Nice, nice. Yeah. And so, and and oh, so, so it's going to be a trilogy. Is there what? What else are you working on? I well, when I retired, Jack, um, I started working on a mystery adventure, um, mm-hmm. which I wanted to make international. Uh, I, you know, Jack has been, except for Gateways, all Jack's novels have been in New York City, in either, you know, one of the five boroughs or somewhere on on Long Island. Um, So I wanted to get, break free of that for a while. And so this book um, goes to Mesoamerica, down in the Yucatan Peninsula, it goes uh, to Israel, it goes to the Pyrenees in southern France, it goes to Paris, and it goes to the Orkney Islands, and then back to New York. So it's, um, I actually get out, and I'm able to stretch my legs, you know? Oh, yeah. fun. And it was a lot of fun. And, but I, it was a lot of trepidation, too, because you're always thinking that, okay, well, it's not repairing Jack, and... We'd like another repairman jack. So you know, you you're always scared that well they're going to turn it down. But um, <laughs> actually, they liked it so much they wanted another one like it. So nice. Now, oh. So now I'm working on um, the next one. 
Very I cool. wanted to backtrack to Nocturnia a second. Family sure. Secrets is out yet, is it? Family Secrets is out in a limited edition. Oh, um, okay. Um, yeah, we're doing limited hardcover edition through uh, Gauntlet, um, and then oh. we're doing paperback and trade paperback and uh, e-books later. You know. I see. And and I wanted to ask you, what's it like to write for a younger audience? You know than you normally do. What do you have to change? You know what? Not much. Um, I always do, you know, spell check, and I always do a grammar Uh check along with it, which is a pain in the butt because (laughs) I use a lot of (laughs) sentence fragments and things like that, uh, and with which it always flags. You know, there's no verb here. Well, you know, okay, I know. Um, ignore. <laughs> but yeah, we figured end, out how to turn that off today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's valuable because yeah. at the end it tells you what grade oh, of yeah. education you need. It's, it's there, there's some hyphenated two name score. What what that. level of education yeah. you need to read it? Oh. And in my adult books, it's you know it's between fourth and fifth grade. Yeah. Which, you know, kind of put me off at first. I was saying, wait a minute. (laughs) But then I realized that the way I write, I call it thrillerese, which is Uh a a style where you have a lot of short sentences, short paragraphs, punchy dialogue. And if I'm at somebody's point of view and he hasn't had much education, well, I'm not going to use you know, words like, you know, invocation and, and that type of stuff. Right. You know, I'm going to use his vocabulary. And if I have a very educated person, I will use a more educated vocabulary. Um, mm-hmm. But it turns out that when you do it, when you write that way, um, you don't need, a, you don't need a, a, a great amount of education to appreciate it, at least according to right. the score. And so I didn't change my style at all to write this stuff. Um, nice. With the Re- Young Repair and Jack books, the, you know, the teenage trilogy, uh, I didn't change my style at all. But I, I did, I did have the violence take place off stage, and mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't drop a lot of f bombs and stuff because he wasn't <laughs> dealing with those type yeah. of people. I mean, I was just for the first time in uh, forever, I listened to one of my audio books. Because I really can't stand listening to my audiobooks, but I, I just thought, well, let me see how what kind of a job they're doing. I listened to Dark City. Holy crap! Uh-huh. I got a lot. I, I mean, I dropped the f bomb so many times, but I got mafia. <laughs> Those characters—they're not going to say fudge and shock, right? No. No. And plus, it had a lot of violence that you know. So I mean, those books are not for. 13 and 14 year olds. Right. Um, yeah. Although, you know what? Those 13 and 14 year olds are, you know, online uh, and, you know, on those shooting games. Uh, yeah. You know, they're they're stalking people and killing them. So I figure, <laughs> you know, things have changed. Yeah, why not? But anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing for an idealized 13 or 14 year old, you know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> Who doesn't who does, stalk probably him. doesn't except for my grandson. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, he spends most of his time as a sniper. You know. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my son was reading you know, Stephen King when he was 10 years old. I didn't care. I cut <laughs> the National Lampoon out of his hands until he was older. But I let him read all the Stephen King and other horror novels he wanted. <laughs> Well, you know, they find a way to do it anyway, because nobody really told yeah. me I could, but I always found a way. <laughs> always, Stephen, yes. Stephen King is pretty, is, is, you know, he's pretty mild in a, in a sense. You know, he's about, he is. I mean, yeah. he's, not, he's not graphic, terribly graphic or anything. Um, oh, I was shocked because uh, my son knew, was 10 years old and knew all about feminine hygiene products, their product, products for reading very <laughs> It's like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. Nice. So, what do you like to do when you're not writing? Uh, I'm, I like to read. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, writing is an obsessive compulsive disorder with me. So, I'm pretty much always writing something. Um, But I, I like to read. I mean, when I'm not writing, I'm reading. It's it's. Um, uh, what do you I like to read? Lo- well, you know what? I actually I just I I get a lot of books sent to me, and I usually mm-hmm. you know the editors I tell them you know either make it a Moby file or a Word doc so I can stick it in my Kindle because I do almost all my yeah. reading exclusively on my Kindle. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually bought Patrick Lee's uh, new book um, Signal. I mean, Patrick Lee is just freaking amazing. I don't know if you've read him, but he he did a, 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 a the Breach trilogy, and last year he did something called Runner, and now he brought back one of the one of the characters for Signal. I mean, the, the guy he is so audacious with his imagination that you know I, it boggles my mind. I envy him. I mean, he's just this shy retiring guy he looks like he's you know he's 19 um he's uh-huh. at thriller fest too <laughs> but he, yeah. he writes kick-ass thrillers i mean so him i pay for but most of the other stuff and I, it's amazing how many good how much good stuff is 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 out there and i never would find it if, if, if i if it wasn't sent to me um, right um yeah yeah, and I've even read some some self-published stuff that that just looked interesting, and I bought it. And I mean, the truth is, I mean, I mean, my publisher is you know a subsidiary of Macmillan, and one of the big five, and and they they all present themselves as like you know the gateway, you know, the gatekeepers of culture in in reading, but you know what? In real life, there aren't enough slots that they can fill. I mean, to, to I mean, there are too many good novels out there, and not enough slots for them to put them in. So right. a lot of good novels go unpublished, yeah. and or I'm, you know, thank God for Amazon, you know, and, and the KDP, because I've read some stuff that's self-published and it's just excellent. I don't know why it wasn't published by it. Maybe I do because, you know, you got an editor, he's got five books in front of him. They're all of equal quality. Right. And what's he going to choose? He's going to choose the one he can market the best. Right. He said, this, this mm-hmm. one's got the best hook. Right. Gonna, you know, so I'll pick that one. The other four get yeah. rejected, not because right. of quality, yeah. 
but because the other one just had a better hook. And, right. that's, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the way it goes. Or you can have a, a book land on an editor's desk, and he loves it, and said, well, yeah, but I just bought one like this last week. So right. I'm not buying another one. Yeah. So, I mean, so if it's you, such a if crap you, shoot. If you wrote a book that you really loved, and for whatever reason nobody took it, would you would you go that route? I've done it. Oh, you have? I've nice. Done it. Nice. Ah, nice. Tracy Carbone ah. and I wrote um, The uh, Proteus Cure, and we got an offer on it from tour and mm-hmm. i said wait a minute that's hardcover that's paperback and that's ebook for that amount of money i said well, yeah, yeah we can we can make that on our own and more exactly. and then we yeah. still own the rights and i said you know this is like tracy's chance to be published by the big five so i said look you make the decision she said she said you know and she's like in her 30s or something and she said you know what I'd like to keep those rights. I got a long time ahead of me, and I said, "Good for you." So we published it yeah. ourselves, and I, we've made yeah. back the advance, and um, we still own all the rights. So everything else that comes in is gravy. So right. I mean, yeah. I, I published most of my backlist on my own because before 2000, mm-hmm. I kept all the electronic rights. Nice. So what I did I? Yeah, I have Good, a yeah. ton of books out there that I've I've self-published and I, I get a nice check from Amazon every month but they would yeah. be out of print now otherwise so yeah I, I managed to save a few and it, you know it pays the first mortgage it's great I could never pay many of the bills on my own but we did that and our story your story with Tracy is the same as ours and we decided to do it because we need money and oh thank God <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. And the book. thing is, it, you know, if you're young and you're prolific, you know, you can have a career in self-publishing. You know, as, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you're, you have some talent. But, um, <laughs> but the thing is, you know, because you know, there's one book, two books, there's three books, there's four books, and they, you know, even if they're just selling a little bit, it it all accumulates, and then you start gathering, yeah. you know, followers and and people, and mm-hmm. you know, but I mean. At my age now, would I start want to start that? No, I don't have <laughs> enough time uh, to, uh, to make that work for yeah. me. But for I, you know younger writers, yeah. Nice. I have I have a question for you. It's uh, something that you said, and it, it it's it's kind of a silly question, but you said that you're writing all the time, and that writing is kind of is like an OCD thing for you. Do you mean that literally? Yes. Okay. I, I, I wondered, I wondered, because yeah, because yeah. I've heard, I've heard of that. That's interesting. That's that's interesting. If I'm not writing, I'm thinking about writing. Right. Yeah. Right. I went out. Everybody? I went out for a half hour walk this afternoon. I try to get some exercise, and I'm I'm designing a a a character. He's you know a hipster grad student. I'm just designing his look and his attitudes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, everything uh, so in the I come world back, it's is there. Yeah. Yeah, when you do anything else, I don't know what other people think about if they, you know, if they aren't writers, because everything you do is ooh, ooh, that might work. Everything, I can't yeah. imagine what other people think about. Yeah. Well, I, I I solve all sorts of plot problems at four in the morning when I'm lying there awake. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> That's so. very useful. Well, we I start we are texting him at three a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's true. We are about out of time. Um, but uh, in closing, where can readers find you? 
Well, I mean, as repairmentjack.com is, is the web website. That's my only website. Um, and uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm on uh, Twitter uh, at, at Paul Wilson. Uh, so. All right. We will find you. you know, I'm, I'm around. Uh, I do sporadically. I did a whole bunch of posts today on Facebook. They automatically go to Twitter. Um, but then there are days where I don't do anything. <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't, you know, I mean, that's nice to have followers, but I don't court them, and I don't put up stuff to um, uh, make friends. But I just right. found out that I just found out that Bloom County is back. So. Oh yeah, the comic strip. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, nice. I just found it on on online on on Facebook, and I'm just saying, well, this this made my week because oh, yeah. I'm a big Opus fan. You know? I know. What did people do before the internet? Seriously, <laughs> we read books. Well, that's I know, that's right? Of, that's <laughs> yeah. Opus has woken has awakened after 25 year nap. You know, and you know, and, nice. and say he says, "Well, it doesn't matter." He says, "Oh yeah." I said, "What's the internet?" He said, "What?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, you, you look it up. Look up Berkeley Breathed, and uh, you'll you'll see the the first three or four strips. The it's just like he never went away. It was great. All right, we'll do. And for the uh, listeners out there, check out F. Paul Wilson at repairmanjack.com. You can also find him on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, it has been a good time and I'm oh, yeah. really, I'm, I'm really glad that we had you on. It's been nice. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. I had thanks. a great time and I still don't have an answer to your question. All right. Well, if you, if you email <laughs> it to time. us, if you get an answer, email yeah. it to us and we'll have you on I again. Will. How's that? <laughs> I will. I'm going to think about it because it's intriguing. It's intriguing. <laughs> well, we'll have you on again. So you have some time yeah. to think about it. All there right. There might be no reply by the Beatles, but. All okay. Right. All right. So, we'll see all right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for um, joining us. Uh, thank you for having th- me. You are welcome. <laughs> and thank you to the listeners for listening and we will see you next week. And until then, we wish you haunted nights and sweet screams. Thank you for listening. Good night, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.